Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler. My guest today is Blair Horner of Nyperg. And Blair is going to talk about the important issue of redistricting this year. So, Blair, let's do an overview of, of the redistricting process. It goes from the Senate, uh, the census to redistricting. So can you explain the whole the whole process in fifty words or less? <laughs> I don't know about that, but you're absolutely right. Since seventeen ninety the US Constitution requires a census every ten years. And the point of the census is to figure out where people live so that um, there can be a reapportionment of the number of uh, of where the members of the House of Representatives originate from in terms of each state. And then within each state, a redistricting process to redraw the lines to reflect population changes within the state. Portionment is the way to divide up the 435 members of the House of Representatives by state, and then within the state is redistricting uh, done by typically the state legislature. Now in New York, there is a new system in place, which is a little uh, adds a wrinkle to that, which the, there is a redistricting commission outside of the legislature, which is supposed to draw the first drafts of the lines for approval by the legislature and the governor. So that adds a little bit more of an interesting dynamic into how New York proceeds. But in terms of an overall process for the country, the census is done, the apportionment, the reapportionment of new House of Representatives by state. New York lost one representative as a result of the mm-hmm. 2020 census. And then within the state, new lines are drawn for Congress, the state legislature, and then eventually local governments as well. So there's, uh, let's talk a little bit about Congress. There's 435 members of of the House. So, you know, the number never changes for representation. And since it was first, you know, drawn up as this should be done, America is a lot different than it used to be then. Would you like to see a higher number and more people involved in in congressional races instead of like 435? Would you like to see a higher number of people being represented on the federal level? Well, I mean, you, you raise a very good point. The 435 number has been in place for decades. And the country has doubled in population, if not more, in the, that period of time, maybe tripled. Uh, and so this, but this, you know, there's two pressures, right? On the one hand, you want districts 
small enough so that the House member reflects the interests of their his or her constituents. And there's about 760,000 people now in each one of these districts. Um, on the other hand, you don't want to make a House representative so big that it's unwieldy to, to govern. But I would agree, generally speaking, that, yeah, I think that the districts have become so big now, when you, you, know, you push with three quarters of a million people in each district, it's very hard for the member of the House of Representatives to really, you know, stay in touch with all of the needs of all the communities in that district. And by the way, just sort of one thing, every state is, is required to get at least one member of the House of Representatives. So Little Vermont, for example, which doesn't have 750,000 people in it, still gets a House member. So mm -hmm. the numbers are slightly skewed. But in New York, we'll, we will have, we'll be electing 26 House members in the election of 2022. So since we lost one seat, do you know the state that will be picking that up? Well, it's always hard to know that for sure. I know that there were some analyses done where people said it went to Minnesota. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, the, the overall trend was that blue states like New York lost seats and red states um, like Texas and Florida gained seats. Mm -hmm. So uh, generally speaking, that was the trend, that it was basically a shift of four or five seats from blue states to red states. And right now in the House of Representatives, the Democrats have a very slim majority of only about four or five seats. And so essentially the just the census changes by itself will uh, make the election in 2024, uh, I'm sorry, 2022, to be a neck-and-neck -neck race for control of the House. So for a number of years, the Republicans have concentrated on state, legislator, state legislatures to gain the majority in this state so that redistricting could be in the Republicans' favor, correct? Well, I mean, you know, just, again, looking at it broadly, that generally speaking, in the red states, the redistricting process has been designed in a way to maximize Republican advantages. And to some extent, the same thing is true in blue states. The opposite is true. The, the sort of the difference is a big state like California, for example, which is a very blue state, has an independent redistricting process. And so it sort of takes much of the politics out of the drawing of the lines in California. So a state like California, where the Democrats would pick, maybe could pick up seats in a partisan redistricting process. Uh, so states like New York, which is the second biggest blue state, there'll be a lot of pressure in New York on the redistricting process for Congress, because that's an opportunity where uh, a partisan redistricting process could result in additional seats. And as I mentioned before, it's a neck and neck fight uh, for who controls the House. The, generally speaking, again, the red states do not have anything like an independent redistricting process. And it's been pretty obvious and they've stated quite you know, clearly uh, that they're interested, red states, that is, Republican majority states, they're interested in reducing the number of uh, Democratic members of Congress as much as possible. So there'll be pressure in states like New York and Illinois uh, to do the opposite. 
So 10 years ago, uh, Andrew Cuomo was governor at that time, and he kind of kicked the can down the road. Can you tell us what he did and did not as far as gerrymandering the districts? Well, 10 years ago, the legislature was really in the driver's seat when it came to drafting the lines. And just so your listeners know, I mean, the redistricting process, the, the legislation on that, it's just like any other bill. Both houses have to agree, and then the governor has to sign them. Uh, or, and if he vetoes it, then the legislature has the opportunity to override that veto. But Ten years ago, uh, Governor Cuomo agreed to the lines drafted by the legislature. And uh, for, the, for, the, for the state Senate, Republicans controlled the House, and they drew the lines for the Senate, which advantaged Republicans. And in the assembly, Democrats controlled that house 10 years ago, and they drew the lines to benefit Democrats in their house. When it came to Congress, the two houses couldn't agree because they're different parties. And so really the courts drew the lines in a more or less nonpartisan way uh, for the legislature to act on. Three different sort of scenarios that were playing out. There was, in a sense, three different sets of lines being drafted by three different sets of people. The governor approved all of those deals, uh, and the price that he extracted from them was to create this redistricting commission, which I mentioned earlier, and he argued that that was an independent process. In our view, it is not, was not at the time ever going to be independent, and I think history, unfortunately, has proven that we were right. Um, nevertheless, the, governor, the governor's role in drawing the lines is relatively limited. His role, or now her role, is to approve the lines once or not uh, when the legislature finally drafts them. So 10 years ago, a, a new Senate district was formed in the Capitol District, which became a seat for Amador. But uh, uh, when it was first redrawn, Cecilia... Patrick won, and then she lost the second time. So I believe that Cuomo created this new district and promised that this year there would be an independent commission redrawing the lines, right? Well, I wouldn't say that the governor drew the lines for the state Senate district that runs from essentially the southern part of the of the capital district in New York down to Woodstock area. I would say that he approved the lines. I mean, the Republic, under the state constitution, the assembly can has to have 150 seats. Under the, under the state Senate in the state constitution, they have to have at least 50, but they're allowed to keep adding. So they did, you're right, they did add a seat, and that was a way that the Republicans helped to gerrymander the lines to maximize their partisan advantage. Now, 10 years later, fast forward 10 years, didn't work because both houses are now controlled, overwhelmingly controlled by Democrats. They both have the you know, mm-hmm. majorities in both houses. Now, when it comes to the independent committee, the governor said the redistricting commission was independent, but it's effectively the way it's designed to be an extension of the legislative leaders. So it never really was independent. So far, uh, 
you know, they came out with draft lines last week, uh, and the draft lines were done in such a way that there's two sets of them, one Republicans and one Democrats, just like the old days. The difference is the Democrats control both houses with overwhelming majorities, and if they want to muscle through their own maps, they'll be able to do it. So who's who's on the redistricting committee? Is it elected officials or some other group of people? No, the, the way it's set up is that the there is a 10-member uh, commission, okay. eight of whom are appointed by uh, – by each of the legislative leaders. So each of the legislative leaders gets two. And then those eight choose the remaining two. So, and it's a little bit complicated, but the four legislative leaders have two choices each. They choose, I'm sorry, they, uh, the majorities have three choices and the minority has one choice for each house. And it's, it's sort of complicated, and I'll, unless you want to go into it, it the way it was written, it was written in a way that allows Republicans to have three of the four choices for the state Senate, even though they're not in the majority. So it's, it's a little tricky the way it's designed, but essentially it's set up so that it's five to five, five Democrats, five Republicans, chosen mm-hmm. in different ways, either by the legislative leaders or by the collective of the eight. And then they hire co-executive directors, one Democrat, one Republican. And so those are the people that are in the process, are, are currently in the process of developing the proposed maps, which have come out on September 15th. And then there will be a public hearing process that starts in the second half of October and goes into November, where there will be 15 hearings under the state constitution. The public will get a chance to weigh in on the maps, and then the commission is supposed to dr- develop uh, their own maps to go to the legislature for approval or disapproval. And and computers have added a whole new dimension to the redrawing of the maps, right? Yeah, it really is a, um, it's totally, I mean, every 10 years, I've been working on this stuff since 1992. And every 10 years, there's this like gigantic technological move forward in terms of tricky part is the, like the commission is supposed to make all of its underlying data and everything else publicly available. And they do, right? So the public will be able to use the commission, the redistricting commission's data and come up with their own alternatives if they have the technological savvy to do so. And historically, there's been this sort of public process. But behind the scenes always was the, you know, the legislative political leaders were drawing their own maps using their own technology outside of that public process. My assumption is the same thing is going to happen this time, but there's no evidence of it yet. Um, and, and so, yes, I mean, it's totally different ballgame than it was 10 years ago in terms of the technological abilities of the average citizen to weigh in on the proposed maps. However, uh, we don't really have the data that the Democrats and the Republicans are looking at in the, sort of their political realm outside of the public process. Like they may use variables such as, you know, kind of uh, magazine subscriptions people have or anything else that they can collect that's not part of the public process. The public process is just census data. 
But you can, of course, overlap that with other kinds of data if you're doing it outside of the political process. So, you know, part of this is a lot, a lot happens behind the curtain. Uh, we're only seeing a part of it. But the public can weigh in in a way that they never were able to before, for sure. So the uh, when the lines are drawn, you know, there's, a like you said, 150 assembly people. Then each district is drawn up to either a Democratic advantage or Republican advantage. So when it comes time to vote every two years, if you live in a heavily Democratic area, it's pretty hard for a Republican to break through. So it looks like the whole process by design is to make sure that that party stays in power through redistricting and the other party doesn't stand a chance of even winning, right? Well, I mean, yes. I mean, the it's a little bit different in a state like New York, for example. We have an overwhelming Democratic advantage, and that advantage now has become so overwhelming that Republican efforts to re- redraw the lines to their advantage were not able to withstand the tsunami of Democratic voters time around. The Senate Republicans drafted redistricting uh, new lines that maximized their advantage and were heavily gerrymandered. But it didn't stop, ultimately, because 10 years later, the Democrats now have more than two-thirds of the seats in the state Senate. So, I mean, it's really about – there's two levels of this. One is the each political party is w- working to their own advantage, and then – each majority and minority in the legislative houses are working to protect their incumbents. So it's really, it's not about the public, right? So uh, that's why we've always advocated for an independent redistricting commission that would actually just draw the lines based on, you know, population size and communities, et cetera, not partisan advantage. But that's how the process works and has worked forever. Uh, and how that's how it works in most of the rest of the country. Uh, there have been proposals in Congress, for example, H.R. 1 and S. 1, uh, uh, that would create a, minim- a national minimum standard for how redistricting would be done and conducted in an independent manner. Now, that, I'm, that proposal passed the House, but I don't. Uh, it's not going to pass the Senate. They, they tried it and it was voted down because no Republicans would vote for it. But there, it's, it, it's, the issue itself is still alive. We'll see how it plays out. But it's, you know, it's, this is a huge battle because at the state level, we talked about the state Senate and the, and the Assembly, the stakes are so much higher for the House of Representatives because ultimately they're the ones who approve the Electoral College vote. And we saw in the right. last, last election in a way that we never saw before. Nobody even contemplated that a president, a sitting president, would try to engineer a coup attempt to overturn an election, which is what happened. Right. Uh, it didn't happen because the leadership of the House, uh, Speaker Pelosi, rejected the pressure and accepted the Electoral College vote. I don't know what would have happened. It could mm-hmm. make the difference in terms of who the next president is. This is. The stakes are incredibly high. 
So, you know, people people are kind of geared towards looking at maybe an, a national election, most likely, you know, the presidency. And they kind of don't pay much attention to the to the state legislative races, which I think is to everybody's peril because the state legislature draws the map for the House of Representatives and the Democrats are in there by just a slight margin. I mean, the Republicans, wait a second. Um, you got it right. The, you got it right. The Democrats right. have a slight margin uh, the, in the House, they, but they right. are way behind in state legislatures. Right. So people don't make the connection between what the state legislature does and how it impacts the federal government, meaning Congress, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, of course, I mean, people have a some a basic civics sense of what happens, but you're right. They don't understand necessarily that gerrymandering in Missouri could impact who the next president of the United States is, but that is effectively what is the case, particularly now that we've seen that, um, you know, in the coup attempt, the, the failed coup attempt by former President Trump and his supporters, um, you, you could see the danger there in terms of the role of the House of Representatives. And so it matters going forward. It matters that, um, uh, I think, you know, of what these new lines look like uh, and underscores the importance of the state legislature. And, you know, your, your, your basic point is absolutely correct, which is people don't, I don't think, appreciate the import. Uh, of how what those new lines look like and what impact it could have on American history and world history. So what would you say to people who are listening to this? What would you tell them on who they should be observing and maybe even helping to 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 win office, I I said so many people concentrate on oh I'm going to work for uh, Biden or I'm going to work for you know uh, Trump, but they they don't take into consideration any of the down ticket uh, candidates or incumbents, and I think it's to their peril. What would you tell them? Well, I agree that um, I think people should participate uh, in whatever form they wish. And certainly with regard to redistricting, there'll be these in New York, there'll be these public hearings starting, I think, on October 20th in Buffalo. And so to the extent that the public wants to sort of weigh in on this, that's their form to do it. Um, In terms of the elections, I agree the the, uh, more participation, the merrier in terms of campaigns. Um, but it is uh, still critically important um, for people to participate at all levels, uh, you know, backing whatever you know group that they're most uh, the candidate they're most supportive of. I mean, we're not in the business of electing 
uh, or unelecting, you know, uh, legislators or any other candidate for office, but strictly nonpartisan. So how people choose to participate, of course, is up to them. Um, but it is not, you know, something that we, you know, sort of weigh in, we, you know, for one team or the other. There's pretty clear <clears throat> historical evidence that people tend to vote in presidentials because they understand it. Uh, but and you know, and up until this, you know, a few months ago, I don't think anybody even thought about, contemplated the possibility that a majority of the House of Representatives could reject the Electoral College vote and install their own candidate. Oh, but that's what mm-hmm. we have. That is the system we have, and that is the danger. It's a clear and present danger to the democracy of, of the United States. Hmm. So never before before January 6th has anything like this ever happened, right? Not in terms of a coup attempt. I mean, there's been all sorts of craziness in terms of how people get elected president. Uh, But there's been now two Mm -hmm. national elections in a row where, in one case, the candidate won who lost by 3 million votes. And Mm -hmm. a second election where he uh, lost by even more and almost won. Uh, so, you know, I think that there's a legitimate, you know, constitutional question about whether the the laws need to be changed to make American democracy actually be a democracy um, and not to sort of re-engineer it so that uh, the elections process is really used as a political weapon as compared to the tally of the votes of, uh, you know, of Americans who are interested in casting their ballots. And I, you know, no one ever thought of this stuff before. And so they, I think the Congress and the president, they have to deal with it. So uh, one last question. Last time there was redistricting, the Republicans were in the, in the majority in the state Senate. That's no longer the case. So, do you think that the that the, that whoever is going to redraw the maps is going to redraw them in favor of keeping a Democratic majority in the New York State Senate? Again, the process is there's this redistricting commission which is split evenly between the parties, but ultimately it's the legislature that makes and approves it. Now, what the Democrats are planning to do, I don't, I don't, of course, I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if they tried to muscle through lines that benefited the Democratic Party the most, uh, particularly on these House mm-hmm. districts. But, you know, again, I don't know what, what they're going to do, and they certainly wouldn't tell me, and they haven't told me what their plans are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I well, you know that's sort of basic, you know, politics, the way America works, unfortunately. So we're, we're just about out of time, Blair. So tell, uh, tell everybody about NIPER and how they could become involved in helping your organization. Well, the best way would be to go to our website, nyperk.org. That's N-Y-P-I-R-G dot O-R-G, New York Public Interest Research Group dot O-R-G, NYPIRC. And there's lots of things that we have on there, different ways for people to participate. We're strictly nonpartisan, not-for-profit research and advocacy organization. Uh, We've been around for going on 50 years. 
uh, and mm-hmm. trying to impact to improve policy in New York State and the country. Thank you so much, Blair. And as the um, legislative session <clears throat> evolves, and we talk about redistricting, we talk about the uh, governor's election, what's going to happen in the legislature, I'm sure that the next nine months are going to be exceedingly interesting. And I'd love for you to come back from time to time to share your thoughts. So you've been listening to Blair Horner, the executive director of NYPIRG. I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is Focus on Albany. If you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Blair, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.